Grace and peace. God bless you. Welcome back to Soteria Prophetic Ministries, where I'm your host and teacher for the next few moments, Delisa Rogers Fields. And I'm going to share with you a few thoughts coming out of Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And in the beginning, we see that God had mandated that his sons and daughters, that's you and me, that we dominate, that we effect, that we produce, that we multiply. In other words, there is a work that God has uh, designed and has destined for us to do, and it's going to vary from one individual to another. So I want to talk about that for a few moments because I had normally teach a class on Saturday mornings, and then there's, of course, worship service on Sunday. So in essence, I guess you could say, you know, I don't really have a day off. So I learned to take time when I need to, of course, and rest and so forth. But it just, as I was thinking about it, I was like, wow, God, there's always something to do, right? Like there's always, and a lot of times when I think, well, you know what, I'm going to carve out this space of time to just kind of, you know, woosah or just do nothing, which <laughs> that's not a thing. And um, and then there's a phone call or there's a need. And, and that's not to say I understand balance, but that's not to say that, you know, I don't know. I don't have enough common sense to know when to say no or when to draw back. Listen, either the Holy Spirit will say, OK, daughter, rest or my body will say, uh, excuse us. <laughs> uh, sit down, ma'am. So but yeah, you, you certainly learn balance. But, you know, you think about what we were put here on the earth to do. Um, and we're here to produce. We're the sons of God. We are the kings in the earth. And if you've studied anything, and most of us in America, you know, we, we know about the, the mosquitoes. Sorry about that. We know all about democracy, you know. So uh, it's hard sometimes for the Western church to grasp that concept of what that monarch, monarch, monarchy rule looks like, that kingdom theocratic rule. It's hard sometimes. And that can be a challenge because in, in the democratic way of thinking, it's, you know, well, this is what we want to do or this is what we agree to do or this is what the majority of us have decided we should do. I'm going to move inside because these mosquitoes are going to pick me up and carry me away. Um, I was trying to enjoy my porch. But at any rate, give me a minute. So, yeah, you know, that democratic way of thinking is, well, this is what, you know, we used to do and this is what. Uh, how we're going to do it. And this is what we have decided. But when you are a king, then you rule. Your judgments are not subject to interpretation and demonstration and participation. <laughs> you know, it, it is what the king says that it is. So uh, when God gave us these instructions in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, the first chapter, he laid it out. He laid it out um, that this is what I expect you to do. This is why I put you here. It's because I expect you to dominate. I expect you to rule. I expect you to reign. I expect you to govern. I expect you to produce. And so throughout the Old Testament, you will see instances of kings, um, even queens, right? The queen of Sheba. And you will find that they all had their realms or their territories, or we like to call them their metron. Your metron is your sphere of influence. And it's the place, it's your territory, it's your real estate, and so every king understood where his uh, boundaries were and, and, and he understood what happened if he crossed those boundaries. And so, you know, every king, it was kind of that unknown uh, language of honor that this is this is my territory. 
that's your territory. Now we can agree to meet in the middle or you can come to visit and I will go to visit, but there is, there's a culture of honor. And I want to talk about that for a few minutes because with the religious mindset doesn't get that. I want to show you, I'm going to give you a demonstration, a biblical demonstration of what the culture of honor looks like among kings. And I venture to tell you, you are a king. You are a king. The Lord has given us authority to dominate in the earth realm. Okay. Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Right. And so we must understand the posture uh, wherewith we've been called. So we're not, you know, we're not here begging and looking and expecting, but we have authority. Jesus Christ gave us authority. I want to show you something. This was an exchange, um, a dialogue between King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. Okay. Um, Now, the Queen of Sheba heard about King Solomon's wisdom. Still talking about Metron. I'm talking about culture of honor among kings. And she understood the, the reputation and the fame of Solomon's wisdom spread throughout the land. And, and his reputation went further. His reputation for wisdom went further than he did. And so here it is, this woman, she's a, a, a female king, which is called a queen. OK, and she hears about this man's wisdom and she thinks within herself, I need to meet him. I want to uh, submit to his discipleship, to his tutelage. I need to glean from his wisdom. That's how kings operate, uh, people of God. When you understand the culture of kings and the honor of kings, it's not to look at what someone has or what they're doing or which capacity they have and to fight against it or envy it or outdo it. That is not kingdom. And I used to term that phrase years ago. That is not kingdom. I don't know what that is, but that's not kingdom. So there is a mentality that kings, authentic kings have. That's not to say at some point you will want what another king has. I would love to have a nice car like him, a nice house like her. I would love to. Yeah, of course you admire and you, and you appreciate beauty and everything, right? That's why the Lord stepped back and said everything he made was good. Even God admires beauty. But you don't want to cross the line to where your appreciation or your admiration (coughs) for something crosses over into the demonic realm where you are competing or trying to upstage someone or trying to uh, uh, usurp authority, displace them. Right. So so the Queen of Sheba overhears this tremendous wisdom that Solomon has. And instead of her saying, well, who does he think he is? You know, what do you mean he's the smartest man around here? She could have developed that attitude, that mentality and and could have found cause to pick a fight with them. You know how people do. They don't like something you do. And so instead of them, you know, just walking away and just letting it be what it is, they'll pick a fight with you. I've had that happen just recently. Just pick a fight for no reason. And, and I just walked away. Right. So. But the queen of Sheba was impressed by him so much. So she said, even though I'm a queen, I'm a female king, I'm a queen. I'm still, I'm confident enough in who I am. Listen to me carefully. I'm confident enough in who I am that this king has something that I don't have, or this king has the ability to uh, ignite or stir or activate something in me that I don't have, or maybe I'm functioning it in it, um, you know, on a very minimal level. But this man's got it. He's operating in it. He's sharp. He's quick on the draw. I need to connect. And so what does she do? She sends him gifts. 
She sends him gifts when she comes to approach him. And again, that's a kingdom mentality. And this is why when we come before the king, we don't come empty handed. We, we bring the sacrifice of praise. We bring offerings. We bring gifts. We bring ourselves and we present ourselves. Right. And so she came to him with gifts. I mean, expensive gifts, lavish gifts. This woman, because she's a king, a female king, she's a queen. She didn't uh, shortchange or cheapen. The grace that was on Solomon's life. There's no way. And you hear people say this, especially in the church. There's no way I can pay you for what you do. And that's true. You get, We can't pay Jesus. All we can do is just give him our life. And even on some days, it's not a good. Listen, on some days, he really gets the short end of the stick. I know in my life, I'm like, God, you know, today you just really got the short end of the stick. I'm, I'm just I'm not performing. I'm not functioning at my best. I'm just not. I'm not at my zenith at all. Um, so even those no one is really able to pay you for your worth or honor you for your worth. You look at the effort. You look at the effort that a person puts into presenting that honor. And this woman went through tremendous lengths to let Kings to let King Solomon know, I appreciate who you are. I honor the wisdom that you have and I'm coming to glean, but I'm not coming empty handed. That's the culture of kings. I'm not coming to ask you for a discount. I'm not coming to ask you for a freebie. I'm, and, and David had the same mentality, you guys. Uh, they wanted to offer him the threshing floor at a discount and you pay for this. And he said, no, give me, I'm paying the full price. So there's a mentality that you must have as a king to where you're not afraid to pull, pay the full balance, the, the full price. Jesus paid the full price. Right. Nobody has to come back behind Jesus and redo or finish doing what he's done. He said it is finished. It, 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 there's nothing you can add. There's nothing you can take away. It is a complete work. Even the Lord, he set back. It is finished. So kings understand what that finish line looks like and they don't stop short of that. And so this woman, as she calculated in her mind how to honor the, the grace that was upon King Solomon. She said, I'm not going to shortchange him. I'm going to present an offering to him that lets, first of all, that honors the gift that he has that I don't have. And I admire it so much. I'm willing to sow into it or, or, and, and listen, it wasn't that Solomon needed it. You all know this man was so rich. His dad, King David had set him up for life. I mean, St. Solomon built a temple with no cost spared. He had hired workers coming in from overseas, coming in from across rivers. He had wood coming. I mean, you got to read it. I'm not going to go into all of that, but he spared no expense. I mean, gold overlaid with the precious wood. And yeah, I mean, my God, it was exquisite and immaculate. So it wasn't that uh, Solomon needed anything from Sheba, from the queen of Sheba. And I'm sure she knew that if she heard about his wisdom, I'm sure she heard about Solomon's splendor or Solomon's beauty. And. So it wasn't as if she was trying to buy him because he could not be bought. He had everything. But what she did is she she made sure that she honored. She understood the culture of honor. That That's a protocol, people of God. There's a protocol called the culture of honor. And you don't get from what you don't honor. This happened in Nazareth. Jesus being Jesus was the healer and everything present that people ever needed. He could not do any miracle, many miracles, excuse me. Why? Because of the people's unbelief. They could not get past. Aren't you the carpenter's son? Are, is, is Joseph really your daddy? Who's your baby daddy? <laughs> you know? 
aren't you the person that was in jail? Didn't I just see you on the mugshot? Weren't you just, they could not get past who he was, his reputation, his upbringing. And so when someone cannot receive you for who you are or honor you for who you are, they can't receive what you bring. And a case in point as me, graced by God, called by the Lord Jesus Christ himself and ran from it. Trust me for many years. But when I finally accepted the call to my apostleship, I understood, even as Apostle Paul said, I may not be an apostle to them, but I am to you. And so understanding the culture of honor, that there'll be some who will invite you to speak, invite you to dinner, invite you to whatever. And they may say, and like people approach me, hey, pastor, or hey, sis, or, hey, and it's fine. Believe me, I, I'm confident in who I am and it's okay. You can call me Delisa and I'm not offended because that is my name, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, and I've been answering that for almost 50 years. I, I know who I am. I'm not slighted or offended in any least way, but there are, and you know some, there are people, if you don't call them by their full title, honey, you got to fight on, what do you mean? You better put, put a, put a tie, put a handle on that. And so you're like, okay, really? But anyway, so, but there will be some who will never acknowledge my apostleship. There are many men who don't believe in women apostles and that's their loss. There are many women who don't believe in it. That's their loss too. Uh, there, you know, so again, the culture of honor says this. If you don't receive me for who I am, you can't receive what I bring. So if you can't receive me and I'm not listen, I'm not saying y'all got to accept me as an apostle now because I'm please don't misread. Listen, it's really OK, because <laughs> guess what? I'm going to serve in my calling regardless. It's not about how I'm received. It is about what God expects from me. And it's really OK. My point is. If someone refuses to accept my apostleship or my prophetship or my pastorship or my teachership or my evangelistic ship, <laughs> all of those wonderful things that God has decided to do in my life. If no one decides to accept that or receive that, then it's hard for you, almost impossible for you to receive of that grace if you can't acknowledge it's there in the first place. And that's why Jesus said, if they don't receive you, he says, shake the dust off your feet. Don't even bid them. What do he say? Don't even bid them Godspeed. Do you know you cannot bless someone who does not receive you in the capacity of which God has sent you? I had to learn that the hard way. There were people I was trying to bless and God told me, he said, I have lifted that blessing off that. Well, I'm not going to say, but he, he said, I lifted the blessing off of it. And the Lord told me I was in violation of the word of God. He said, if you receive, and I'm paraphrasing, receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you will do what? You will receive a prophet's reward. That doesn't mean the reward is a new talith or some oil. <laughs> I'm just saying you can't receive the fruit or the manifestation of that prophetic ministry because you don't even acknowledge what you've got in front of you. So again, this goes back to the culture of honor and then going back to the kings and going back to understanding your metron and your realm of, of influence and your sphere of influence and all of that good stuff is understanding that even if people don't receive you, it doesn't change who God called you. So let me say this. So let me finish up with Sheba, Queen of Sheba rather. And so she comes in and she sits under him. And I, I can't recall, but for some unspecific time length, of it was a length of time. She sat and she gleaned from Solomon. Now, some commentators and historians say there was a relationship. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't put it past Solomon because the brother was about that business. I mean, I'm just saying he was about that life. 
Um, so I don't know. And it has nothing to do with the gospel at all. But what I am saying is that she spared no expense at blessing him, honoring him for who he was and for what she needed from him. And because there was that mutual, remember I talked about the boundaries and so forth. She understood that she couldn't just cross over into Israel, cross over into Jerusalem until she sent a gift. And that gift was the door that opened, uh, her, uh, the gift was the gift opened the door for Solomon to grant her his presence. This is why we come before the Lord with thanksgiving, enter to his courts of praise, right? Because that's the gift. That's what opens the door for the presence of God. He dwells in the, in the praises of his people. So you got to come with that mindset. And there are people you do. I, you cannot go to certain countries without bowing down or kissing the ring or whatever. That's their protocol. Does that make you any less of anybody? No, that is their culture. Here in America, when we enter into a courtroom and the judge steps into the room, all rise. Guess what? If you're sitting, you are being removed. There are bailiffs there who are posted who will escort your wonderful self out of that courtroom. And you can say, well, I don't believe in it. That's fine that you are entitled to your belief. You are entitled to refuse if you didn't vote for that judge and you don't like their uh, position on certain things. That's fine. But you will not sit in that courtroom and dishonor that judge. So see how that works with the kingdom mentality and the kingdom protocol and how the church has frustrated that so bad. The church cannot understand the things that and when I say church, I don't mean the church that Jesus Christ uh, birth. I'm talking about the religious church, that religious mindset. They can't understand it's carnal and they'll fight and kick it and try to kill it. Um, So anyway, I want to close out with this point that. When God gave us those instructions in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, and he said to uh, let them have uh, dominion over all the fish and, you know, throughout the earth. Right. There are areas that God expects you to dominate in. Those areas are not going to look like my areas. My areas are not going to look like your areas. Some of those areas may complement one another. Some of those areas may have have absolutely nothing to do with with, you know, each other. However, it is. God's expectation of us. Jesus gave a parable about the man with the 10 talents. And you know what God did? He gave this man, gave each of them several different talents, right? And he came back to to ascertain what have you done with those talents? And we know what happened. The one that had one buried it. And what was the response? You wicked, slowful servant. Wicked. That means wicked. <laughs> means you are governed by evil spirits. You clearly did not hear God. You didn't understand God. You didn't even retain him in your knowledge. You just took it and buried it and let that be that. And that's why God said, Jacob, have I loved Esau? Have I hated? Why? Because Esau buried his talent. He took that birthright and he wanted food, the lust of his flesh, right? He wanted that over his, his, um, God's perfect will in his life. And many people have done that. Many people have sold out for the lust of the flesh, for a bowl of porridge (laughs) that once you consume it, once you enjoy it, once that season ends, that's the end of you. So your Metron will look different from my Metron. That doesn't make mine more important than yours or yours less important than mine. It's just different. The Holy Spirit divides us severally as he will. Because God knows each of our capacity to do the work. 
That's why he gave the one one. He knew from insight and foresight, you are going to waste this season. You are going to waste this seed. You're going to waste these talents. You're going to waste years. So I'm only going to give you one. And sometimes you can look around and I know that as a leader I've done, I, you know, I wonder why, you know, how can I put this tactfully? I wonder well, when I'm asking, when I see certain things that need to be done in the ministry or in the community, what have you. And I'll ask the Lord, I said, Lord, you know, who should I send to do this? Or who should I assign? Or who should I, you know, approach about X, Y, Z. And there are certain ones that keeps coming up in my spirit. And there are some that may come up in my spirit every once in a while. Then there's some that God never calls on. And I, I'm, I'm serious. And, and so I go to God and I say, why don't you ever call, you know, this one? out? Why haven't you ever brought this one's, you know, this one to my attention or why? And the Lord, his response in, in many cases is they don't have the capacity for it. They won't put forth the effort that's needed or some may feel is beneath them or, you know, it, they they won't. They won't execute that assignment with the fidelity that God is, is looking for, for whatever reason. I don't want to do it. Let somebody else do it. I, I should be doing something else or whatever. And so God may just give that person one talent. And then you may have another person who will show up and who will put forth their best effort, may have some other some underlying issues going on, some precipitating factors, and they've got some things they're working through. And so God will say, OK, give them five. Right. I'm not going to put a whole lot on their plate because they're dealing with a lot, going through a lot. But they're certainly doing better than than the one with the one. At least they'll show up. You know, at least they will put forward when they when they do it, they'll do it to the best of their ability. So God said, give that one five. And then there's the one that you got that will do it. And I mean, will my goodness, <laughs> will do it with such excellence and such grace that you, you're just so happy that God chose them to do it. And you're so pleased that you don't have to go behind it like Samuel had to go behind Saul and, and finish killing Agag, the king of uh, uh, kill, um, kill Agag, because Saul didn't do it. Samuel was like, what is the bleeding of the sheep that I hear? <laughs> what is this? No, what is this? Right. Why? Why isn't the work that God told you to do not done? Well, see the people. No, that. No. See, that's where you that's where you went wrong. This is where you go wrong. And so, but you find those that will get that work done. God will pull on them two o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the afternoon when they're just getting out of work, when they, and, and, and they'll, they may be tired. They may be weary. They may have their own battles that they're fighting, but their response is yes, Lord, whatever you need. Yes. Yes. Woman of God. Yes. Man of God. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Whatever you need me to do. And those are the ones that God will listen to whom much is given much. Is, those are the ones God will, you you talking about open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you won't have room enough to receive because you can be trusted. Those are the ones that he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on, enter into my rest. Why does God say enter into my rest? Because those faithful servants are the ones laboring. He said a harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We don't have a lot of laborers. Now, we've got a lot of talkers and murmurers and all of that stuff, but the kingdom does not have that many laborers. And so those that God can call on, he wears them out. And then he says, enter into my rest. The, la the, the beggar Lazarus was laid in Abraham's bosom, resting. Right. So I want to leave these thoughts with you, people of God. I, I want to I mean, I know y'all know if you've been listening, you know, how I roll. You know, yeah, I've, I've kind of gone all over the place. We've talked about Genesis 126. Talk about your Metron. 
your sphere of influence, the place that God has you to dominate. We talked about Samuel and in, in, uh, Saul, how God, how that leader feels or that person, your supervisor or manager or whoever your authoritative person is, how they feel, the frustration they feel when you have an assignment or work and you have to do it. And that and God's still saying, I want that done. And so now you've got to go back and listen, there's nothing worse, especially those of you parents and you tell your kids clean up the kitchen or clean the bathroom. And, you know, my kids are older now, but, you know, I would say this is not mommy clean. Is it mommy clean or kid clean? Well, it's, it's kid clean. No, I want it mommy clean. <laughs> it's a different. Believe me, there's a difference. And, and so but there's nothing more frustrating when someone has said, I'm finished, I'm done. And then you look back and you're like, but you didn't do this and you didn't do that. And that's left undone. And who called this one? And who did? And it's frustrating. And so the tendency the next time to assign that person that same thing, you want to think about it. You know, because you know what you the frustration you felt when that work wasn't done. So either you are doing it or you've got to have somebody else go and do it, which is adding to their bonds on top of whatever they had to do. Right. So we talked about that. We talked about um, Sheba and, and Solomon, how there is that culture of honor among thieves, among thieves, the culture among the devil's alive, among kings that, hey, I admire what you're doing. I admire your ability to, to put music together. I admire that prophetic anointing, prophetic psalmist. I admire that teaching grace. I admire the, the revelation. I, you know, let me let me buy a book from you. Let me let me sew into you. Let me get some more of that material. Let me sit under you. Let me glean from you. But I'm not just going to pull because kings don't just pull and not put back. That is not the mentality of a king. If that king is taking something from you, that king is going to replace it. They're going to make sure there's going to be an even exchange. They're going to put it like Jesus said, why didn't you put it to the exchangers? That means hands. There's got to be, there's a changing, something is changing hands. Not you take, 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 take. That's not kingdom. Kingdom kings don't work like that. Think about King Ahasuerus, right? That night he couldn't sleep and he called for his scribes. He said, hey, read some books and just read some history and let me just, you know, reflect on something. Think about how I've governed as a king and, you know, what am I missing? And they said, you never honored the man who reported the um, the controversy. You know, there was there was a, a um, what's the word? Um, somebody plotted against your life and this man reported it and you never honored him. And the man, of course, was Mordecai. What did Ahasuerus say? I've, he got up. He said, I need to make this right. And he honored Mordecai. Of course, we know that Haman had an issue with it. That's another story. But I'm telling you how the, what the mentality of a king is. And so we don't. The church church mentality does not understand that. And that's why we find and I hate to use the word haters, but that's where you find people who will hate, who will envy you, who will try to shut you down, tear you down, fight against, bite, devour and all of that. Because they don't understand that when kings see another grace or another gift in another king's life, they will admire it. They will acknowledge it. They will partner with it. They'll team up with it. Look throughout the Old Testament and look at how these kings, even in the book of Joshua, there were five kings that came together. Because listen, not all kings come together for the right reason. But there were five kings that came. They made a confederate pact to overthrow, overthrow Joshua and, and the armies of God, of the armies of Israel. And what happened? Joshua defeated every last one of them. I love that story. Joshua put them in a locked cave, the cave of Makeda. I think it is. Yeah, I love the word of God. I'm telling you, <laughs> but he locked, he locked them up in a cave. But so, yeah, they kings will come together and, and will form a confederacy 
or a partnership or some type of, um, you know, uh, network to build one another, you know, or to tear down in some cases, depending on the foundation of it. So but I want to leave these thoughts with you as you think about your metron and your sphere of influence. You may have authority. You can turn a kitchen upside down. I mean, you can cook, you can bake, you can do that's your thing. I have many friends who are chefs. They have their own um, catering services. And when you need something, you know exactly who to go to. They are a king in their craft. There are some, if you need music done, like right now and I'm on my son, I'm like, Hey, I need some, some, some soundtracks, whatever. He's a king in his craft. My daughter, she's, she's, I have two daughters one is into hair, uh, uh, skin care. Another one is into lip gloss, whatever, and, and different other areas that they have excelled in. So if I need something, that's who I go to. You go, you connect with that king who is who has manifested their best self in that craft. And they are renowned for being excellent in that thing. Right. I had someone reach out to me overnight. I need a, a, a research paper done. I need it right now. <laughs> They've reached out to a king. Am I the only king in publishing and editing? Of course not. But I'm the king she connected to. And so when she needs things done and when other people need books published and manuscripts and all that, they know, let me call that king. Let me call that woman of God. That's her area of expertise. So you have an area of expertise. Many of us have multiple areas. Again, some of us have one. Some have five. Some have 10. It just depends. Are you working your lanes? Are you working your areas of expertise? Okay. I'm going to leave you with those thoughts. Good people. We love you in Jesus. I pray that I've said something to encourage you and motivate you and challenge you. If this message has been a blessing and I do believe that it is, why don't you consider sowing and presenting an offering on behalf of this message to a king? My uh, website is DelisaRogersFields.com. That's Rogers with a D. And you can go online and you can sow and give whatever the Lord lays on your heart. Um, You can also visit my church ministry website at www.tlcor.org. And you can be a blessing. Um, If you have nothing but a prayer, I ask you in Jesus name to release a prayer over my life that will invoke the presence of God and a double outpouring of his grace and his anointing. Until next time, people of God, be safe. We love you. We appreciate you for your time. Grace and peace.